Well, we want to welcome you back to another edition of Then and Now with Ed Stevens, where we're taking a look at our past so that we can better understand where it is we're going in our future. Today, continuing in AD 62 with the arrest of James and an introduction to the dating of the book of Revelation. Stay with us. Well, it is a sweltering Sunday afternoon here in Southern California with my Ed, my friend Ed Stevens joining me here from Pennsylvania. How are you doing, Ed? Well, it's not quite as sweltering here. It is humid, but it's not as hot as it is out there. So Ooh. Uh, we're okay here. It's pretty comfortable. Uh, you know, that's why I'm staying indoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it, it has been rather warm here. You know, right now I think it's about 88, 90 degrees outside, but we have pretty decent amount of humidity that really kind of takes things to the next level. Yeah, but it does. It really does. We're, we're about uh, 72 degrees here, but the humidity makes it feel a lot warmer than that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I wish I could say we were in the 70s. So. Yeah, that'd be like uh, wintertime for you guys. Yeah, we'd be getting out the jackets, the uh, snowmobiles. We'd be ready to go. <laughs> oh, my. Winter's not until you get zero degrees here around this area. you got to have very low temperatures, below zero. Yeah, you know, I think the, the lowest I've ever been in was about 19 degrees, and that was in Phoenix on Christmas Eve. Wow, I didn't realize it got that cold either. Maybe Flagstaff, but I didn't think Phoenix would ever get that cold. You know, it was an extremely cold year, and I found out that a Volkswagen bug in that kind of weather will not move. The uh, transmission fluid, like 70 to 90 weight uh, down at those temperatures, is like driving with your parking brake on. Wow. So, well, my friend, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to you and let you do what you do best. We are in about AD 62, dealing with the arrest of James. And uh, then after that, you're going to be giving us an introduction into the book of Revelation and its dating. Yeah, hopefully if we get that far, I suspect we may spend the bulk of our time in the uh, arrest of James and his companions. Alrighty, my friend, I'll let you do what you do best. Thank you. For those of you who are listening live, the uh, lesson outline is obviously not yet available for you to download, so uh, you'll have to get that uh, later on after Mike posts it uh, this coming week. But if you're listening to this later on as a on-demand uh, podcast, then you'll want to make sure you download the PDF first and open it in your Adobe Reader program so you'll have it in front of you as you listen to this podcast. Also, any sources uh, for more information that we mention here on the podcast are already listed in the lesson outline, so you don't need to write them down. Uh, so that'll save you a little bit of effort there as you listen. Uh, you can just read along with us and not have to write down all these references. Uh, and they'll be printed out for you in full. Uh, I also want to mention uh, Frank Spears' new podcast. Uh, and this is a blurb that he wrote and sent to me uh, to read to all of you who are listening. Uh, he says, hey, gang, if you're looking for enthusiastic, sound biblical teaching with a dose of life application, then be sure to check out Frank Spears' daily 30-minute podcast entitled Big Frank's Super Terrific Bible Hour. You can find it at www.lightshine.me. Currently, Frank is taking us on a journey through the Gospel of Matthew. This series is great for teenagers, too, since Frank has a way of communicating in a very conversational and engaging and sometimes even comical and humorous style. Again, that's Big Frank's Super Terrific Bible Hour at www.lightshine.me. I hope all of you will take advantage of that. He's, I listened to some of those uh, podcasts, and he's doing a marvelous job exegeting and explaining uh, the text of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's a wonderful application series uh, helping us grow in our relationship with Christ Jesus. Well, last time we looked at the dates of writing for the three short epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and some of the things that happened while Paul was in prison or house arrest in Rome for the two years from AD 61 to 63. 
we mentioned the cessation of minting temple-compliant coinage in Judea during this same time uh, that Paul was in prison in Rome, as well as a severe earthquake in Campania and the death of Festus and the abuse of power when Ananus II arrested and killed James and some of his companions. So we're dealing with this uh, two-year period while Paul was in prison in Rome, and we're seeing what's happening throughout the rest of the Roman Empire while Paul is in prison there, uh, teaching all of his uh, people there in Rome. Uh, and, of course, one of the big events that occurred was the arrest of James and some of his companions, and we dealt with that a little bit last time. I want to pick up there and uh, go a little more deeply into it and look at some of the statements that F.F. F. Bruce and Josephus and Eusebius have to say about the death of James under Ananus II, who was high priest at the time. Uh, I want to read some statements from Josephus and Eusebius about that arrest, and then hopefully, uh, if we have enough time, get into the exile of John to Patmos and uh, the development of the book of Revelation while he was there. Uh, So some of the statements that I gathered up for this podcast uh, come from F.F. Bruce, and I want to read what he says about the arrest of James in 62 AD. He says, Festus died suddenly in office about the year 62, and a three-month interregnum ensued before his successor Albinus arrived. During this interregnum, the high priest, Ananus II, seized the opportunity to pay off a number of old scores. He brought a number of men before the Sanhedrin and procured their condemnation to death. Among these, The most notable person was James the Just, uh, the brother of Jesus and leader of the large Christian, or more accurately, Nazarene community in Jerusalem. This judicial murder shocked many of the Jerusalemites, who were not themselves Christians or Nazarenes, because of James' asceticism and piety Uh, had won for him widespread veneration and and appreciation. So when uh, Jerusalem was besieged a few few years later, uh, there was not lacking those who declared that the disaster had befallen them because of James' uh, uh, martyrdom, uh, because James had continually interceded for the city and prayed for its... uh, destruction to be stalled off until they could repent. And of course, they never repented. And the proof of that is they killed him, killed James, uh, just like they'd killed his brother, Jesus. And so uh, the Jews felt like, at least some of them did, that uh, the destruction came upon the city, at least in part, because of their killing of James, the brother of Jesus. Josephus has something to say about this as well, and I'm going to read from the Antiquities, uh, Book 20, Chapter 9, Section 1, and if you've got the uh, Loeb Classical Library edition of that, the Harvard University Press edition, uh, the reference for that would be Antiquities 20, colon, uh, 199 and 200. Okay, here's what Josephus says about uh, Ananias, or Ananus II, arresting James. He says, this younger Ananus, who, as we have already told you, uh, took the high priesthood, was a bold man in his temper and very insolent. He was also of the sect of the Sadducees, who are very rigid in judging offenders, above all the rest of the Jews, as we have already observed. When therefore Ananus was of this disposition, he thought he had now a proper opportunity to exercise his authority. Festus was now dead, and Albinus was but upon the road, so he assembled the Sanhedrin of judges and brought before them the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, whose name was James, and some others, or some of his companions. And when he had formed an accusation against them as breakers of the law, He delivered them to be stoned. 
And Eusebius expands on this a lot and adds some testimony uh, from Hegesippus. And we're going to read parts of that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the whole section here is in my PDF. So those of you who get the PDF uh, will have all of that information. I'm just going to read a few highlighted sections here. Uh, probably most of it, but uh, not not much more than half. Okay, uh, Eusebius tells us about the character of James a lot more than Josephus does. Josephus doesn't share any information about what kind of character James was other than the fact that he was considered to be a very uh, devout person and had prayed for the Jewish people. Uh, Eusebius goes further, quoting Hegesippus. He says, after Paul, in consequence of his appeal to Caesar, had been sent to Rome by Festus, the Jews, being frustrated in their hope of entrapping Paul by the snares which they had laid for him, turned against James, the brother of the Lord. The following daring measures were undertaken by them against James. Leading him into their midst, they demanded of him that he should renounce faith in Christ in the presence of all the people. But contrary to the opinion of all, with a clear voice and with greater boldness than they had anticipated, he spoke out before the whole multitude and confessed that our Savior and Lord Jesus is the Son of God. But they were unable to bear longer the testimony of the man who, on account of the excellence of ascetic virtue and of piety, which he exhibited in his life, was esteemed by all as the most just of men, and consequently they slew him. The manner of James' death has been already indicated by the above-quoted words of Clement, who records that he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and was beaten to death with a club. But Hegesippus, who lived immediately after the apostles, gives the most accurate account in the fifth book of his memoirs. He writes as follows. James was, a, was holy from his mother's womb, and he drank no wine, nor strong drink, nor did he eat flesh or meat. No razor came upon his head. He did not anoint himself with oil, and he did not use the bath. Oh, mercy. He alone was permitted to enter into the holy place. Now, it's interesting that, that uh, Eusebius says this, or Hegesippus says this, right after he says he did not use the bath. Uh, you know, Ed, I, I just can't help but not comment on that. Uh, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's a comment, let me tell you. When he says he alone was permitted to enter into the holy place, <laughs> well, <laughs> perhaps some of the reason was because he never used the bath. There you go. There you go. Uh, for he wore not woolen but linen garments, and he was in the habit of entering alone into the temple and was frequently found upon his knees begging forgiveness for the people so that his knees became hard like those of a camel, in consequence of his constantly bending them in his worship of God and asking forgiveness for the Jewish people. Now, some of the seven sects of the Jews, which existed among the people and which have been mentioned by me in the memoirs, ask him, what is the gate or doorway of Jesus? And he explained that he was the Savior. On account of these words, some believe that Jesus is the Christ, but the sects mentioned above did not believe either in a resurrection or in one's coming to give uh, to every man according to his work, a judgment in other words. Uh, they didn't believe in a, a resurrection or a judgment at the end of the, of the days. But as many as believed James's message, uh, uh, they... You know, there were some who did believe that message of James. Therefore, when many even of the rulers believed, there was a commotion among the Jews and the scribes and the Pharisees who said that there was danger that the whole people would be looking for Jesus as the Christ. They had to get rid of this James guy. He was converting too many people to Jesus. Coming therefore in a body to James, they said, We entreat you, restrain the people, for they are gone astray in regard to Jesus, as if he were the Christ. 
we entreat you to persuade all that have come to the feast of the Passover concerning Jesus, for we have all confidence in you. We, for we bear you witness, as do all the people, that you are just and do not respect persons. Do therefore persuade the multitude not to be led astray concerning Jesus, for the whole people and all of also have confidence in you. Stand therefore upon, upon the pinnacle of the temple, that from that high position you may be clearly seen, and that your words may be readily heard by all the people. For all the tribes with the Gentiles also are come together on account of the Passover. The aforesaid scribes and Pharisees, therefore, placed James upon the pinnacle of the temple and cried out to him and said, You just one in whom we all ought to have confidence. For as much as the people are led astray after Jesus, the crucified one, declare to us, what is the gate of Jesus? In other words, what, what should we do with Jesus? Where do we go with him? What do we do with him? Uh, what do we believe about him? And Here's what James answered. He answered with a loud voice, Why do you ask me concerning Jesus, the Son of Man? He himself sits in heaven at the right hand of the great power and is about to come upon the clouds of heaven. And when many were fully convinced and gloried in the testimony of James, and said, Hosanna to the son of David. These same scribes and Pharisees said again to one another, We have done badly. We done done it now. And allowed him to give such testimony to Jesus. But let us go up and throw him down, that, he, that they may be afraid to believe in Jesus. And they cried out, saying, Uh-oh, the just man is in error and they fulfill the scripture written in Isaiah, let us take away the just man because he is troublesome to us. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their doings. So they went up down the just man and said to each other, let us stone James the just. And they began to stone him for he was not killed by the fall, but he turned and knelt down and said, I entreat you, Lord, our Lord God, our father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And while they were thus stoning him, one of the priests of the sons of Rechab, the son of the Rechabites, who are mentioned by Jeremiah the prophet, cried out, saying, What are you doing? Stop! The just one prays for you. And one of them, who was a launderer, took the club with which he beat out the clothes and struck the just man on the head. And thus he suffered martyrdom. And they buried him on the very spot by the temple. And his monument still remains by the temple. He became a true witness, both to the Jews and Greeks, that Jesus is the Messiah. And immediately Vespasian besieged them. And that's all I'm going to read. There's more. If you want to read in the uh, second. Eusebius Ecclesiastical Histories, chapter 23. Uh, there's more about that, but that gives us a little bit of a flavor of, of what happened when James was arrested and killed by Annas, the high priest, in 62 AD. Well, I believe this was the same time also uh, when John was exiled to Patmos. And the reason I say that is because Josephus mentions that there were others who were arrested at the same time that James was. It says in the in Antiquities uh, Book 20, uh, Section 200 there, he says that uh, James and some others or some of his companions or some of his relatives is the idea uh, were arrested at the same time. Well, who were these other folks? I, I think one of them very well could have been John. Because even if it means relatives, uh, that would fit John because John was a cousin, a first cousin of Jesus. And he was a first cousin to James as well. And so it'd be very easy to understand how John would have been arrested at the same time if Annas was out, clear out all of the, uh, the family of David who were in line for the throne and in line for the Messiahship, uh, they would certainly have targeted 
the whole family, including all the cousins and relatives. And Jude's grandsons would have fallen under the target as well. And we mentioned, I think, in last time's lesson that uh, this is probably the time when Jude's grandsons were arrested, uh, maybe even a part of this very bunch that was arrested by Ananus II. So I think it's probably when John, John was exiled in Acts, and we would probably want to say, well, why wasn't he killed like James was? Uh, I have an answer to that, and we'll talk about that here uh, in a minute. James, I believe, was exiled perhaps here as a result of Annas II, arrest of James and some of his companions. The book of Revelation was evidently written sometime very soon after his exile uh, in, in April of 62, and evidently before he was killed uh, in the uh, Neuronic persecution of 64 AD. So somewhere within this two-year time frame, I believe, is when the book of Revelation was written. Uh, and he had to be exiled to Patmos first, and I think that occurred here in April of 62 at Passover uh, when James was arrested and some of his companions. Uh, why did John merely get exiled to Patmos instead of being killed like James? As mentioned above, Ananus, during his three-month high priesthood arrested James and some of his companions. I believe John was one of those companions that was arrested. Peter was still alive in Jerusalem two years later, uh, where we read in his two epistles, First uh, and Second Peter, uh, that he was writing from Jerusalem, from the city of Babylon, which was known mystically as Babylon. Um, so he was writing from Jerusalem two years later. So, uh, Evidently, Peter was not one of those who was arrested and killed, but John appears to be uh, one of those who was still in Jerusalem at that time and was arrested. Uh, the Apostle John was evidently uh, there at the time that he wrote his three short epistles, uh, at which time it was the last hour. Uh, we we noticed in uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, that John is mentioned as being in Jerusalem at the time uh, that Paul went there for that uh, conference or, or uh, council that they had in Acts chapter 15. John says in Revelation 1, 9 that he was on the island called Patmos at the time he received this apocalyptic revelation and wrote it down. However, he does not tell us where he was at the time he was arrested. Uh, he most likely was in Judea at the time of his arrest and exile. It is no great surprise that Ananus would have sent John into exile rather than have him executed, since John tells us in his gospel, John 18, verses 15 and 16, that he was personally known to the high priest, Ananus ben Seth. Uh, Ananus the first, who was the father of this very Ananus the second that arrested James and some of his companions. This relationship between John and the house of Ananus evidently spared John's life two more years by allowing him to be exiled rather than killed. Evidently, his uh, acquaintance with the family uh, allowed uh, Ananus to. Uh, send him into exile rather than kill him. This arrest of James and some of his companions occurred at Passover, which would be in, at about April, very uh, probably the middle of April or very early May of A.D. 62. This means that John would have been exiled to Patmos soon after this, uh, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Patmos was probably about a a two- or three-week boat ride from Judea. Uh, if, in, if they had good winds and good weather, they could make it there in two or three weeks pretty easily. Um, and in the summertime, they usually had pretty good travel conditions for boats. So uh, he would have arrived in Patmos sometime in early summer or late spring of AD 62. And that given him over half 
year of 62, the last half of 62, in order to write the book of Revelation, which I believe is the case. I believe that the book of Revelation was written not too long after he arrived in Patmos, sometime in the latter half of 62 AD. Well, it tells us uh, in Josephus that Albinus becomes the procurator after Festus suddenly died. Uh, they had to hastily get Albinus uh, on his way to to Judea. So he made a fast trip from Rome to uh, Egypt, to Alexandria, and then uh, traveled up by horseback, I believe, uh, from Alexandria around the coast through the Gaza Strip uh, to get to Judea. And he was on his way there when Ananus arrested and killed James. And so some of the more peaceful people there in, in Judea uh, sent a message to Albinus condemning uh, the death of James at the hands of Ananus. Albinus, uh, when he finally got to Jerusalem, uh, clobbered Ananus and uh, had Agrippa uh, take him out of the high priesthood. And uh, Albinus was the procurator during the time of the Neronic persecution. Albinus was procurator from AD 62 to 65. And then 65 Florus, that mean old bad putty tat uh, Florus that Josephus did not like too much, blames the whole revolt on Florus, uh, is the next procurator after Albinus. Albinus becomes procurator in 62 here. He rounded up the zealots. Uh, the Sicarii zealots took hostages to trade for the zealots that Albinus had imprisoned. And Ananias uh, had a son, had five sons, in fact, and one of them was Eliezer, who was the Sagon of the temple. And at the time Albinus was becoming procurator, Eliezer was not Sagon of the temple yet. He was just the secretary or scribe of the Sagon. And evidently he was taken prisoner, taken as hostage by the Zealots. And they knew Ananias, his father, would pay a heavy ransom to get his son back from them. So uh, that was a perfect target for them to pick on. And they knew Albinus would not do anything about it. So uh, what, they, what they did is they used Ananias to go to Albinus and release some uh, zealots from from uh, prison there. Ananias bribed Albinus to do that because he wanted to get his son back. So they traded hostages, traded prisoners. Albinus was still the Roman governor of Judea at the time of the Neronic persecution in the summer of 64 AD. He would have been the enforcer or the allower of that persecution in Judea. More than likely, he would have just looked the other way and let the Jews do the unpleasant work for him. Uh, the Jewish leadership may have bribed him to look the other way while they took advantage of Nero's hostility against the Christians. That would have been extremely dangerous time for the Christians who were living anywhere in Palestine. This is why the statements of Eusebius make a lot of sense where he says that the Christians were warned by a revelation. And I believe that's the book of Revelation in chapter 11 where it says, come out of her, my people. Uh, they were warned by a revelation to get out of the city of Jerusalem a few years before the war. Notice he, Josephus, not, not Josephus, but Eusebius says that they were warned to get out of there a few years before the war. Well, 62 to 64 is definitely a few years before the war. And so if, Joseph, if, uh, if John wrote his book of Revelation in 62 or very early 63, 
that would have been a few years before the war, and it would certainly uh, fulfill exactly what Eusebius says here, that that they were warned to get out of Jerusalem before the war. Well, why were they warned to get out of there so soon before the war began? Well, because of the, the neuronic persecution. They would not only be arrested and killed in the uh, war when it broke out, but they would have been killed even more so in the neuronic persecution. So I believe that's what we uh, see here. I think that's why the book of Revelation needs to be viewed as written uh, before the neuronic persecution broke out as a warning to them to get out of Jerusalem before Nero uh, started killing them. The book of Revelation contains that very warning, uh, come out of my people, and I believe it was written in late 62, soon after John was exiled to Pat. This would explain how both Paul and Peter seemed to be familiar with the book of Revelation when they wrote their books a year later in A.D. 63. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about heavens and the new earth and the new city Jerusalem. And, um, and the only New Testament books of Paul that, that ever mentioned that is the book of Hebrews. And Peter makes reference to that in Second Peter chapter 3, that Paul in his letters makes mention of these very things that he had just talked about regarding the new heavens and earth and the new Jerusalem and the fiery end of the old heavens and earth. And also, First Peter mentions him riding from a city called Babylon and that he was associated with the church there in that city of Babylon, which we know from the book of Revelation, is Jerusalem. Now, Peter wrote that in AD 63. And the book of Hebrews is written just as Paul was being released from his prison in Rome in 63 AD. And so here you have both Paul and Peter in their writings in 63 AD showing that they were familiar with the contents of the book of Revelation. That implies uh, at least the possibility that Revelation was written before 63 AD, uh, before Peter and Paul wrote their two books. Uh, Paul evidently wrote his in the spring or very early summer of 63, and Peter probably wrote First Peter about that same time as well. Uh, maybe during the winter of 63. Okay, so I think that helps us date the book of Revelation when we look at the connections that they, that they have in their books uh, regarding coming out of her, my people. Uh, it seems that John's book of Revelation was that very warning that Eusebius is referring to. And that was certainly a few years before the war. And they certainly had a good reason to get out of the city besides just the war. Uh, they needed to get out of there before the Neuronic persecution broke out. Okay, about the same time, uh, after, uh, Ananus II was released from the high priesthood because of his uh, killing of James. Uh, the next priest, high priest, that was appointed by Agrippa II is Jesus, son of Damnaeus. And uh, not much is known about this guy other than the fact he was, like the previous high priest, very evil in his conduct uh, toward the other priest. He sent his evil servants out to the threshing floors to seize all the tithes that belonged to all the priests to enrich himself personally and depriving them of their rightful tithes and offerings. After he was deposed by Agrippa II, he did not go quietly away, but used his followers and servants to insult the new high priest, who was also named Jesus, uh, but son of of Gamaliel. 
And uh, so here we have those two uh, rival high priests now. They're followers are out in the streets throwing stones at each other. It's also significant that uh, Jesus ben Gamaliel was friends with Ananus II. This, this would further explain why Jesus ben Damnaeus was so bitter against Jesus ben Gamaliel because uh, ben Gamaliel, his successor, was good friends of Ananus II who had been high priest before Ben Damnaeus was. And so uh, there's some bad blood going on here between these two high priests. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about Revelation. Uh, we mentioned that it was most likely written sometime between John's arrival on Patmos, which would have been in the summer, early summer or late spring of 62 A.D., and the beginning of the Neuronic persecution in late 64 when he was most likely killed. So somewhere in that two-year window, and I think we can narrow it down and have uh, narrowed it down a little bit more than that. Uh, my best guess, of course, is that Revelation was written in late 62, soon after John had arrived in the summer of 62, almost a year before Paul was released from his imprisonment in Rome, in the spring of 63. And I think this explains how both Peter and Paul were seemingly familiar with the contents of the apocalypse when they wrote their two epistles, 1 Peter and Hebrews, in mid to late AD 63. An AD 62 date for the apocalypse would also mean that the seven churches had received their warning to repent by early 63 at the latest. Over a year before Paul was arrested the second time and wrote his second epistle to Timothy, in which he stated that all who are in Asia, evidently including those seven churches of Asia that the book of Revelation addresses, all in Asia had turned away from him. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 it appears that John's warning to the seven churches to repent in AD 62 uh, must have gone mostly unheeded because a year later in the Neuronic persecution, they have defected from the faith. It is no surprise, therefore, that those churches were devastated in the Neuronic persecution. They were so close enough to Rome that word from Rome about the demonic persecution would have reached them very quickly. It was only like a, a, a week or two at the most boat trip from Rome to get there. And so they must have heard real quickly about the neuronic persecution soon after it broke out. And the magistrates of those seven cities would have been compelled to round up their Christians and kill them. The non-Christian Jews would have made sure that they did. They would have informed the Roman authorities about all the Jewish Christians there in their neighborhood and would have made sure that the Christians got rounded up and put to death. Some of the Christians in those seven churches may have apostatized, or apostatized and went back into Judaism in order to spare their life. And it was probably these apostates that Paul made reference to in 2 Timothy. Those few who kept the faith would have been killed about the same time Paul, John, and Peter were killed in the Neuronic persecution of late AD 64. Two years after Paul complained about the Asian Christians turning away from him, Vespasian brought his troops from Greece across the Hellespont and traveled the trade route through Asia, where the seven churches were, on his way to Antioch. This is 66 AD, after the war broke out. Any Jews, including Jewish Christians who had apostatized and returned to the synagogue, that 
Vespasian would have encountered along the way in Asia as he traveled through there with his troops. Any Jews would have been rounded up and killed or enslaved. And, of course, this assumes that the non-Jewish residents of those cities had spared them up to that point. But there's every reason to believe that by the time Vespasian came through there with his troops, the non-Jews would have already killed or evicted their Jewish residents, including any apostate Christians who had defected back to the synagogue. Since most of the Jew or the New Testament writers, especially the book of Acts, were already written before John was exiled, it's not surprising that they do not mention anything about John being on the island of Patmos. And it's also because of security reasons. Even if John's apocalypse was written uh, before 62 AD, uh, they don't mention it in their epistles because it wasn't safe to be associated with Roman prisoners. And especially not after the Neuronic persecution broke out in AD 64. So if any of the New Testament writings were written after John was exiled to Patmos, they would be putting themselves at risk by mentioning anything about John's exile and thus connecting themselves with a condemned man. One objection to the early date of the book of Revelation focuses on Polycarp's statement that the church in Smyrna, where he was supposedly bishop, was not acquainted with the Apostle Paul at the time Paul wrote his second letter to Corinth in August of 57 AD, in which he bragged about the generous contributions of the Macedonians. Uh, late natives of the book of Revelation, of course, all the futurists, or most of the futurists, uh, who date it late in 95 AD, use this statement of Polycarp to suggest that the church in Smyrna was not even in existence until after AD 70. But that is not what Polycarp says. Uh, we need to go back and, and really read that more carefully. Uh, he simply said that the church in Smyrna, which was obviously in existence at that time because of the way Polycarp implies that they were not familiar with him, uh, how could they not be in existence uh, if they were not familiar with Paul at the time? I mean, there was obviously a church there, but the church was not familiar with Paul probably because it was not founded by Paul and therefore not personally acquainted with him. And perhaps he had never visited that church. Uh, he'd probably sent Tychicus or Titus or Timothy or some of his other traveling companions to visit those towns. Like several other churches in the area, Laodicea, Colossae, Cyprus, Cyrene, Antioch, and others, the church in Smyrna had been started by someone other than Paul, but they were certainly in existence at the time Paul wrote to the Corinthians in August of 57. And so there's no surprise that the book of Revelation, 62 AD, would mention them and address one of his letters uh, to the church there at Smyrna. Paul is probably not wanting to intrude on someone else's ministry, and he says that on three different occasions. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, he, he says that he did not want to enter into the sphere of another and intrude on the work of another, uh, one of the apostles. And it could very well have been Apostle John who had done missionary work in that area and established those churches. And in fact, there's a lot of traditions saying that that's the case. And so Apostle Paul respected that and did not go to Smyrna because of John's previous work there. Uh, Paul mentions the same idea of not working in another area that was established by some other apostle. He mentions that in Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 28. So there's a couple of references there that, that you may want to look at to help explain why Paul was unknown by sight 
and not personally acquainted with them there in Smyrna. And that explains how the church could have been in existence, but just not acquainted with him personally. There's also the possibility that Apostle John or some of his disciples might have had something to do with the founding of the church in Smyrna, since Polycarp claims to have been taught by some of John's disciples. Or it could have been founded by some of the Jews from Asia who were converted on the first Pentecost. If you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 9, it mentions that, that on the first day of Pentecost, when the church first began after Peter's preaching, uh, it mentions there in Acts 2 to verse 9 that there were Jews from Asia there. Uh, and, that, and Smyrna, of course, is where Asia is. That's also where Ephesus is and the other uh, five cities that... Uh, John addresses in the book of Revelation. So we really don't know who founded the church at Smyrna, but we do know that it was in existence before Paul wrote his second letter to the Corinthians in August of AD 57. And if you'd like to see more discussion on all this, uh, I think Ken Gentry has a fairly good um, uh, treatment of it in his book, Before Jerusalem Fell pages 322 through 326. So if you want to look more at that, uh, get his book. And I think we have that on our book list. You can get it from our website if you don't already have a copy of Ken Gentry's book, Before Jerusalem Fell. It's also possible that Apostle John had visited the churches of Asia after Paul was arrested and sent to Rome in AD 60 or earlier. John might then have been arrested right there in Ephesus and sent in exile to nearby Patmos. This is another one of those theories that you'll encounter out there. And there is some traditional history uh, to back that up. And so it's not impossible to believe that John may have taken a missionary tour after Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. It may have been too hot for him to stick around there. And so he may have left and gone on a missionary tour to Asia and was arrested by the Jews there and sent to Patmos. This would explain a lot of the traditions that we have about the various activities of John in Ephesus. It would not change the date of the book of Revelation since it had before Paul uh, was released uh, and before he wrote the book of Hebrews right there near the end of his release from prison in early A.D. 63. And also it was written before Peter wrote his two epistles in A.D. 63. Yet it was written at a time when the end was just about there and the coming of Christ was shortly to take place. So uh, that puts it right in this time frame, regardless of whether he wrote it uh, uh, after being exiled from Jerusalem or exiled from Ephesus or Asia. It puts the apocalypse writing in AD 62 or before, or either way. One of the most compelling arguments for the early day I found in the idea that John suffered martyrdom in the Neuronic persecution before the parousia in AD 64. If he died in AD 64, then the book of Revelation obviously had to be written before his death in AD 64. And the, back, the background uh, history for this is both biblical and historical. Uh, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 23, and also Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 40, the story is recorded about the mother of the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, asking Jesus to place her two sons on his right and left sides when he came into his kingdom glory. And Jesus asked both of them if they were able to drink the cup of martyrdom that he was about to drink. They both replied that they were able. Then Jesus said to the, both of them, James and John, that they both would, in fact, drink the cup of martyrdom. This means both James and John would die before Christ returned. So John could not have lived after 70 AD, could not have, because he had to be martyred, just like Jesus predicted he would. 
we know that James, his brother, was killed by Herod Agrippa I in AD 44, as we learn in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. But when was John killed? When did he drink the cup of martyrdom? In the last chapter of John's gospel, he negates the rumor that was circulating about his remaining alive until the rapture and thus escaping the experience of physical death by being raptured. He negates that. He he says uh, Jesus didn't promise him that he would remain until he came. Not at all. And he evidently remembered what Jesus had said to him in Matthew chapter 20 and Mark chapter 10 and knew uh, that that meant that he also, like his brother James, would be martyred before the return of Christ, who at his coming would bring the kingdom and then seat the apostles on 12 thrones to judge the 12 tribes at that point. And John evidently remembered that prediction, and uh, that's why he negates that rumor that was circulating about him remaining alive until Christ returned to receive them to himself and place them on 12 thrones. If we place the parousia in 866, when Christ's angelic armies were seen in the skies above Israel, it means John would have had to have died sometime between his exile to Patmos in AD 62 and the parousia in AD 66. And I believe we have shown that that death must have taken place in the Neuronic persecution. The island of Patmos was a Roman penal colony, prison colony. Since John was placed under Roman guard on Patmos in AD 62, he could not have been released until after Either uh, Ananus II died, uh, which did not occur until February of 68 AD, or until Nero died, which would have been in June of 68, just a little bit after uh, Annas died. Both of those dates would have been long after demonic persecution and the parousia uh, uh, in AD 66. So in order for John to have died before the parousia, like Jesus said he would, it seems most likely that he would have been killed by his Roman captors on the island of Patmos soon after Nero began the persecution in July or August of AD 64. Or if he was released somehow from that captivity on Patmos and went back to Ephesus, he would have still been killed in the Neuronic persecution there in Ephesus because the Jews would have heard about the Neuronic persecution and they would have rounded him up and killed him there, even if he had been released from Patmos. So I'm open to either one of those two theories. I don't know which one is the correct one. Uh, Because of all the traditional information about John uh, and his activities in Ephesus, it seems to me that In order to account for that, we would have to see John released from Patmos sometime in 63 AD after being on Patmos less than a year and going back to Ephesus because it would not be safe to go back to Judea uh, unless the high priest had died. So he couldn't go back there. So he would have settled and remained there in Ephesus where the church was and would have had more than a year's worth of time before the Neuronic persecution broke out to accomplish all those things that traditional history says that he did there in Ephesus. So I tend to favor, you know, that explanation of uh, John's activities there in Ephesus. I think he was released from Patmos in 63, went back to Ephesus, and then was there at the time the Neuronic persecution broke out a year later in in August of 64 and was arrested uh, about the same time Apostle Paul was that second time on his way to Nicopolis for the winter and was killed there 
uh, in Rome, probably taken back to Rome to, to be executed. That means news of the Neuronic persecution had reached the coast of Turkey by the fall of AD 64, uh, probably even before that, late summer. John would have been killed soon after, since he was already in uh, the area there where Roman uh, custody uh, would have been in control. Uh, Ephesus was very much a Roman city and under the control of Romans. And the Jews would have made sure that he was arrested and and killed there pretty quickly. Uh, John was not a Roman citizen, so he could not have been taken back to Rome for his trial and ex- execution like Apostle Paul was. Uh, John was simply a Jewish uh, citizen, and so therefore he could have been killed right in Ephesus very easily. Uh, if he was killed in Patmos, uh, his body could have been taken back to Ephesus for burial, which was less than 50 miles up the coast from from uh, Patmos. And that may be the source for the confusion about John living in, Pat- in Ephesus uh, because his body was buried there, and they thought, therefore, that he must have lived there. There are also traditions that suggest Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom Jesus charged John to care for at the cross may have moved to Ephesus to be near John while he was on Patmos. And that may be an explanation of why he settled there himself after he was released in 63 AD. So if John died in the Moronic persecution in late 64, the book of Revelation must have been written before that, sometime between late 62 and late 64. I place it right in the middle, uh, which would be uh, very late 62 AD. Okay, I think that's uh, a good explanation of the date for the Revelation. I want to look a little bit more uh, for the early date uh, on some of the statements in uh, Peter's book, First Peter, and uh, also the book of Hebrews here. I'm just writing a note here on my uh, manuscript. Uh, I had a typo there that I want to correct. It's in this PDF for all of you guys who will be uh, getting it with your download. Okay, another argument the early date of Revelation is uh, Peter's mention of Babylon in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. And uh, I think we're going to have to probably defer that till next time because it's about two or three paragraphs here, and I don't think I have that much time left. So I want to give up my uh, web address, uh, www.preterist.org. And if you would like to pick up some of these books that we've mentioned here on the podcast, you can go to our website and find them there and purchase them using your credit card. Again, the website address is uh, www.preterist.org. And if you'd like to ask me any questions about all this that we've discussed here today, uh, you can email me at preterist1 at preterist.org. And I'd be tickled to hear from you. Uh, Right what you think about what you heard here on this podcast. And I can verify that uh, he is definitely somebody that when you tickle him, he does giggle. That's right. (laughs) Well, my friend, I do thank you for joining us on this Sunday afternoon. Any final thoughts as we wrap things up? Nope. I enjoyed it very much. It's good to be back here, back in the saddle again, as they would say in Texas. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, You know what? I had to take a little bit of break, a little bit of a break in. You know, it taught me one thing. I need to do it more frequently. Absolutely. (laughs) Alrighty, my friend, we'll see you back here next week. God bless. You are tuned to listener-supported AD70.net. We are Christian Radio from a slightly different point of view. Putting sanity back into Christianity each and every day is what we're doing here. And if you'd like to help us take this message of fulfillment to the uttermost parts of the earth, you can do so by heading over to our website, AD70.net, and clicking on the support tab located on the left-hand side of the page. And if you'd like to get a copy of this or any of our previous live broadcasts, you can do so by simply going to our website, thepodcast.org, where you can download a copy of this and all of our previous live broadcasts.
broadcasts for free. Don't forget when you download this broadcast of Then and Now that there are notes available as a download as well in PDF format so you can actually follow through with the notes and take a look at them again and again. God bless. We'll see you back here next time for another edition of Then and Now.